Welcome over in the venue. Thank you, Ben, for leading worship over there, and Joel, pastor in that group, and just uh, appreciate all of you, those of you that are watching online again on the radio. We're glad you're with us. Um, have you ever driven down the 99 freeway and you get to the 120 interchange right there, there's this big, ginormous church there. And I guarantee you, every preacher in Modesto, every preacher that ever drives down, goes by that church, is very envious. We have to deal with, with envy and jealousy uh, because um, they've got this big, ginormous electronic sign. We have banners. In fact, I know when Mike pulled in here, he looked, look at these lame guys got banners out in front of their, I know you did, I know you did. <laughs> anyway, that's where Pastor Mike uh, Moore is the, the pastor, he's the founding pastor, he's gonna tell you a little bit about that because uh, we, we were the ones that sent him out and planted that church. And uh, I just want you to know, um, it's been a joy to sit in all the gatherings. And I, I just know that the Lord is going to use him in many of your lives. This is just a really fantastic message. And uh, I'm glad God laid it on his heart to, to you know, bring uh, to us. But he also has his wife with him, and he's going to talk a little bit about that. He used to be a part of a singing group a long, long time ago. And it was a big, big singing group. It was called the Gospel Seed. And uh, do we have a picture of the Gospel? That, that, that was the, they actually had records. That's the record. <laughs> Okay, do we have the other side of that thing? Oh, look at that, oh man. Dude, you guys were Christians? How could you, oh, I didn't realize that that was some crummy. No, anyway, uh, Mike was a huge blessing in my life. He used to be on staff here at Big Valley Grace uh, 27 plus years ago, and it was a real blessing to me, a blessing to a, a, a lot of us. Some of you remember Mike, most of you don't, but it's really neat to have him back. Would you welcome up Pastor Mike Moore? Would you do that? Good morning. Hey, welcome. Welcome everyone. Uh, for those of you on the, in the venue, online, I hope that this is gonna be uh, encouraging to your heart today. It was 1983 when my wife and I left sunny Southern California and the beaches of Southern California, rolled into Modesto in our 1971 VW bus. You remember those? My wife said, don't forget to tell them that uh, that's worth a lot of money today. You know? <laughs> but anyway, we came to Modesto and uh, we, we brought our three daughters with us. And, and uh, I, was, I was actually brought on staff to be the, uh, the family and marriage pastor at the time. And uh, we were over on Standiford. And in fact, we, we left to start Crossroads uh, the year that uh, this church was being built, when this uh, facility here was first being built. And uh, they sent me out. Uh, uh, after I'd been here for a few years, they sent me out to Manteca. Ken Silva used to be a pastor here on staff, and they had sent him to Oakdale. He planted a church there. So they thought, well, if, uh, you know, we can start one. We can do another. So the leaders at, uh, at the church a big valley here uh, said, let's, let's do one in Manteca. So they sent me out, and we started a home Bible study with about uh, 17 people and started this church from scratch, and no buildings, no money, no, you know, I, we didn't have a telephone. We just started a home Bible study, and today God has really blessed us, and we're, it's a joy to be back, though, after all these years. 
took 27 years to invite me back. I don't know what the deal was there, but uh, <laughs> anyway. By the way, uh, I want to introduce you to my wife of 47 years, Grace. Stand up over there, honey. Yeah. Yeah. She's my ministry partner, the joy of my life, and uh, mother of my three daughters. And this is what we looked like the year we arrived, okay? Been a slight change, just a little bit. And you young people say, that'll never happen to me. Cheer up. <laughs> it will. But here's what happens when you obey the scripture that says, be fruitful and multiply. That's what God told us. Here we are. This is just last summer. Yeah. yeah. That's my crew. And uh, what a blessing they are to our lives. And God has really been good to us. So... Anyway, it's been a great journey these last 27 years pastoring at, at Crossroads, and uh, I really am just delighted to be here this weekend to see all of you faces. And we've, we've met some people that we knew way back then. They're still around and uh, still walking with, with Jesus. That's awesome. Well, listen, I'm going to uh, talk to you today, this morning, about something that might get some pastors fired in some churches, Okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm just going to be open. And my confession is this. Sometimes I have my doubts about God. There, I said it. Sometimes I have my doubts about God. Now, I've had some uh, struggles in my faith journey, just like many of you. And you say, well, my you're a pastor. Are you supposed to have any doubts at all? Well, I'm just, I'm being honest with you. I, I haven't always found all the answers to all the questions that I have about life, about God, about heaven, about hell, about everything. You know, I mean, I've studied the scriptures for over 40 years, but I'm telling you, I, I still have some questions. And there are many things in life that I do not understand. I'll be honest with you. And that causes me to have some doubts creep in from time to time. In fact, uh, one of my lifelong favorite verses is found in Deuteronomy 29, 29. L let me share it with you. It says this, there are some things that the Lord our God has kept what? Secret. But he has revealed his law and we, are, and, we and our descendants are to obey it forever. So basically, the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things that you and I, this side of heaven, will never understand. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be some doubts. There's going to be some things that we scratch our heads and say, God, what in the world are you doing here? And it may not make sense to us, but the secret things belong to the Lord. It was a few years back, I was having this conversation with a, a pastor friend of mine in, in Manteca, and I said, Mark, uh, tell me, I got a question for you. And I just kind of, you know, ventured out on a limb. And I said, Mark, you know, do you ever have those moments in your life where you ask yourself a question, something like this? You know, this whole journey of following Jesus Christ. And we, you and I, are giving our one and only life to this person following a man who lived 2,000 years ago who, who claimed to be God, and we have never seen him. And yet we're giving our one and our only life to this man. I said, you ever have thoughts like that? Like, 
what am I doing? He smiled and he nodded his head a little bit like he totally related. He goes, oh, you get those too. You know, I go, oh, yeah. You know, it's like every once in a while, you know, you kind of think to yourself, what if, what if this is, what if this is not true? You know, I mean, like, wait a second here. I'm investing my life, whether you're a pastor or not, you're investing your life to follow this man called Jesus. You've never seen him. You've never touched him. And you're saying, well, wait a second. At that moment, you ask yourself, what, what if it's not true? And you start living in the land, what I call the land of if. What if? What if? And then for a few moments, those thoughts kind of crowd into your mind and, and like deja vu. You know what those are, right? That, like that moment where all of a sudden deja vu and it quickly just kind of fades away and you go, what was that? And then there are other times in my life, I'm telling you, when God seems so close to me. There are other times in my life when I'm, I'm looking at his creation. I'm looking at the earth and the, and the stars. And you take a trip to Yosemite or Grand Canyon or like Victoria Falls in Africa or where some of the places I've been. And you just see God's handiwork. And you look up and you see the moon and the stars and the universe and you go, whoa. And I look into the eyes of my children and my grandchildren and I feel so close to God that Sometimes I feel I could touch him. You ever had those moments as well? But if, if we were honest, most of us live in the land between. Between this thing called these two worlds, one being perfect faith and the other, you know, having some doubts that cross our mind. Because we are devoting our entire lives to this man called Jesus. And by the way, the scripture tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. So this whole deal that we're, we're, we're venturing out on, oh, oh, God gives us enough that we hold on to tangible things that we can say, you know what, this makes sense to me, but every so often it seems to kind of get weird for us. We think, wow, what if it's not true? And we're investing our entire lives into this thing. It's by faith. It's by faith. And that's the way God set it up. Now, unfortunately, in some churches, some churches do not allow people to struggle with their doubts. Some churches don't allow people who uh, are going through various things in their life to, to voice those concerns or, or you know, they, they say, well, look, if you don't have this simple, strong, unwavering faith, then you're not a part of our club. And I'm here to tell you that the local church ought to be the place where every single one of us can come in with our sincere questions, with our struggles, and with our doubts, and voice those things, and, and, and Jesus meets us where we're at. Now, we, we're all on the faith journey. We're all on this journey, walking by faith, and we're walking into the unknown. And while we're on this journey, no one here has perfect faith. And they didn't in Jesus' day either. In fact, wasn't it Jesus who said, look, if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed, which is almost cannot be seen by the human eye. That's how small it is. The point Jesus was making is, look, if you have just a little bit of faith, there's enough power in that faith to move mountains. Right? So, has anybody moved a mountain lately? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Is that we all have room to grow in this thing called faith, which, which tells me that there's also room for doubts in our hearts and in our minds. We all have some doubts. 
We all have doubts at times when uh, we don't fully understand the way life works. And sometimes those doubts move in and push faith out the side door. And we have to wrestle with that, don't we? So that's what I want to talk about this morning, is, is this whole thing of, of doubt and faith. And we're going to look at two stories in the New Testament. The first story is found in Mark chapter 9. And let me kind of set the stage. So if you brought a Bible, you'd like to open it, you can follow along. We'll have the, the verses on the screen. But I, I want us to look at this story because uh, let me set up the story first, the background. Peter, James, and John had gone up onto a mountain with Jesus. And there they had this mountaintop experience. It was phenomenal. I mean, Jesus was there and Peter, James, and John, and, and they were overshadowed by a cloud and they heard God's voice. And, and guess who showed up? Moses and Elijah. And they had this little meeting and they were part of it all. And it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And, and so they're coming down the mountain. The other disciples have been left below and they were up on the mountain, just, just those. As they came down the mountain, here is where we pick up our story. Ready? Beginning of verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them. So Jesus and Peter, James, and John coming down the mountain, they notice there's something going on. There's some arguing going on. Look what it says. It says the teachers of the law were arguing with them. And as soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Jesus, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Verse 19, listen to Jesus. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, get the picture here. This father is desperate. This father, first he goes to the disciples and he says, cast this spirit out of my son. They could not. They prayed. They, they couldn't do it. Apparently there wasn't enough faith. We don't know what was going on there, but they couldn't do it. And it seemed as they prayed, heaven was silent. No answer. Nothing happened. Has that ever happened to you? You pray. Maybe there's something you're really calling on God for, and it seems like you're just praying, and your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. This is common. It happened with them, and it happens with us. So uh, here's what happens now. So um, Jesus says, bring the boy to me, and they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus, this, this Spirit in the boy, when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus turned to the boy's father and he says, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love what Jesus says. Verse 23, he replies, if you can, <laughs> if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I have prayed that prayer so many times in my life, that same one. 
I do believe, Lord. Help me overcome my unbelief. You ever been there? You ever had those moments where you, you know you believe, but you just need more faith just to get there? This is a remarkable story, a powerful story of how Jesus handles a desperate father wanting his son to be helped. And his imperfect faith was mingled and mixed with doubt. And as we read this story, I believe that it's going to encourage you and help you in your moments when you need to overcome some doubts in your own life. Because we all struggle with them, if we're really honest. So how do you overcome those doubts? How do you overcome your doubt with, with faith? So we're going we're gonna to look at this, okay? Three things we're going to learn from this father. If you're taking notes, you know, whether you're in the venue or online or, or listening or whatever, if you're taking notes, just here's the first thing I want to share with you. First of all, we need to come and acknowledge our doubts. We need to acknowledge the fact that, that we really are here. You see, many times in the Christian community, we're told to stuff our doubts. We're told to pretend they're not there, push them aside, and don't let anyone, do not let anyone know that you are struggling with a faith issue. Because that's a no-no many times among Christians. Oh, don't doubt, don't, you know, and, and you're trying to deal with the reality of what you're feeling. But today, we're going to do the opposite. We are going to walk right in and acknowledge our doubts. In fact, that's what this father did. Let's look at these verses again. Verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Now listen to this father and listen to his statement, mingle with doubt and faith, okay? The father said, watch this. Say it with me. But what? If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything. If, if, if. This father was living in the land of if. And he was doubting. And, and, and maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe there's some issue you're struggling with. Maybe, maybe you're investigating Christianity. Maybe you're a window shopper and you're kicking the tires. and You're just not sure about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe that's you today. Maybe, maybe you walked into this place and maybe you want to believe it's possible, but you're just not there yet. You know, even as followers of Jesus, sometimes we, we do some, some pretty crazy things in our minds. And I don't know, uh, I, at least I felt better after the last couple of services here that I wasn't alone. I wasn't crazy, all right? And, and so, uh, but sometimes we often test God with these little little prayers or little things that we do in our heads. And when I was younger in my faith, I, I, in, a little bit naive, and I would step out and I would, I would pray these kind of crazy prayers. Like, I remember one time I was out camping. And I was lying on my sleeping bag underneath the stars, just an amazing array of stars across the universe. And there was just this sweeping Milky Way, and I was just stunned at you know, how small I was and how big God is. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm lying there, and, and I did one of those silly off-the-wall prayers. You ever done one of these? Where you know, I, prayed this, uh, I prayed this prayer where I was saying, God, if you're real, I think right now would be a good time to give me a shooting star. I mean, you got plenty of them in the universe. You won't miss one. Just have one streak across the sky. If you're real, prove it right, right now. Okay, God. No? Okay, I was just kidding anyway. You know, it's like, 
or, or maybe you're, you're in, the, in the middle of a basketball court, at, at, you know, right in the mid-court line. And you're thinking to yourself, and I know this is kind of silly, but, I, you know, you think, well, God, if you're real, help me to make this basket from mid-court. <laughs> Ready, God? I know if you're real. No, here's what I'm going to do. I'm close my eyes. <laughs> I'm going to turn my back. And if you're real, you, you know, this kind of crazy stuff, you know? Or God, if you're really real, may a zebra walk across this stage right now, you know? And, and we do stuff like that, and it's infantile, and it's silly, but sometimes we want to test God like that. Like, if you're real, if you're real, do something. Won't you prove it? Do something significant so I can hold on to something, so I'll know you're there. And we, we do this kind of stuff, you know, but today we're not going to stuff our doubts. We're going to acknowledge them. And some of you may have walked here, in here today struggling with some issue where you're, you're struggling in your faith and, and, and you have doubts crowding in and your doubts are crowding in so, so much that it's beginning to push faith out the door. And maybe that's you today. By the way, if, if you are doubting, it's usually in one of three common areas. So uh, this is extra credit. It's not your notes. You want to jot this down if you're taking notes. But maybe this will help you. Three common areas that people doubt most in. The first thing would, would be that they doubt God's existence. You know, that's a very basic one. But maybe if you're a doubter in this area, you might ask this question. God, if you're there, why don't you prove it? If you're really there, why don't you prove it and settle it once and for all in my mind so I'll have no doubts? I mean, right across the sky, I'm here or something, you know. Or maybe the second area you might doubt would be you're doubting God's goodness. And you might say something like this, God, if you're good, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening to someone that I love? And, and we begin to doubt God. So we ask the why question. The third area would we, we begin to doubt God's involvement. And we begin to say, God, where are you? Can't you see this world and how broken it is? Where are you? Where were you on 9-11 when the Twin Towers fell? Where were you when my loved one had cancer? Where were you when those 300 girls were kidnapped over in Africa? Where are you? Did you just wind up this universe like a clock and walk away? Where are you? And you begin to doubt God's involvement. Well, today... Listen, out in the venue, online, today we are going to acknowledge our doubts. We're going to be honest about them, and we're going to start a club, okay? We're going to start a club today. We're going to call it Doubters Anonymous, okay? Hi, my name is Mike Moore, and I doubt God from time to time. Thank you, thank you. All right, you're with me. I'm going first. But I'm, I'm wondering how many of you would really be honest and publicly say, you know what? I have had faith struggles in my life. It hasn't always been really clear to me on everything I want to know. Sometimes there are doubts that creep in. And I would say, you know, if that's you, by the way, how many of you have been or are there right now? Let me see your hands. Okay, a few honest folks. The rest of you? Remember when Rick was talking about repentance? Uh, just kidding. First thing we have to do is get honest with God that we don't have perfect faith. If we did have perfect faith, whoa, whoa, okay, a few mountains will get moved here and there. You know what I'm saying? So there's room in there. So let's be honest with it, okay? The second thing we're going to do 
is that we are going to let Jesus meet us right where we're at. We're going to let Jesus meet us right where we are at. Do you know this? No matter where you're at in your faith journey, Jesus will meet you right where you're at. And this is what I love about this story. In fact, in verse 23, right after the dad said, if you can do anything, Jesus said, and here's the emphasis, if you can, if, are you kidding? Everything, he says, everything, everything, everything is possible for him who believes. I love the way Jesus handles this father. He comes to Jesus and he says, if you can. Now, what did Jesus do? Did Jesus chew him out and say, if you can, what's wrong with you? Why do you have no faith? Why are you doubting? I'm not going to do anything until you get your act together and come to me with full faith. Is that what Jesus did? No, he didn't do that at all. Jesus met him right where he was. And there may be some of you today who have doubts, and Jesus will meet you right where you are. You need to know that. You need to understand it. He knows exactly what we need when we need help with our weak faith. And one example of this is a few years ago, I, I got a phone call from my grandson. And uh, he was working in the Bay Area. He was starting off and he was in, in the medical uh, field a little bit. He was, and he had, he had to wear scrubs. And one day he called me, he says, Grandpa, Grandpa, I, just gotta, I, gotta tell you, I gotta tell you what happened to me today. I said, what? He goes, do you know God answers prayer? And I said, well, I've heard that, you know? <laughs> He says, no, no. He says, this is amazing. He goes, man, my faith is just through the roof right now. He says, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, well, tell me what happened. He says, well, he goes, I was coming out and taking off my scrubs, and I got to talking to a friend, and I took my wallet and my cell phone, and I put it on top of my car while I was changing off my, my top and so on. And, and I said, okay. He says, and, and I got to talking to my friend. And I forgot my wallet and my cell phone was on the top of my car. I got in my car, and I just took off from my workplace and I drove all the way home. I got on the 680 on the freeway and I'm just flying. And I said, okay, I'll go. So what happened? He goes, I got, to, I got to my place and I drove in my driveway and I got out and I started looking for my wallet, my phone and all this sinking feeling he goes, oh no, I left it on the roof of my car. And he said, I prayed out loud right then and there. God, please, please let my wallet and my cell phone still be on my car. What do you think? He gets out of the car, he opens up the door, he sees his cell phone still on the roof, wallet gone. Okay? But he picks up the cell phone and he goes, oh, oh, my cell phone. You know, he can't live without a cell phone. <laughs> so, you know, he's so excited, but he goes, well, where's the wallet? You know? So he said, I prayed again. He goes, oh, God, I pray that somebody who finds my wallet will, will, will turn it in. And an honest person, I need what's in there, you know. And so he, no kidding, he walks into the house. The phone rings. It's somebody from Blockbuster who has his wallet and said, somebody turned it in. And he found his number inside, called him. And he said, you can come down and pick it up. He went down, he picked it up. Everything was in the wallet. So he called me, he says, Grandpa, Grandpa, he says, look how God answered my prayer. I said, well, hey, I lost my cell phone one time and I prayed and I didn't get it back. <laughs> so here's the deal. Does God always give us everything we want? But he does meet us where we're at. And that's what he did for Tim that day. I tell you, he was so excited. He was so excited. Listen, 
there are those of you here today who have this little bit of faith. And like I said, maybe you've been investigating window shopping, just kind of standing on the edge of faith, and you've got this little bit, but you've never had enough faith to really cross the line of faith and accept Jesus as your Savior. And maybe you're just kind of standing off in the distance, and you're weighing it all out, and you're saying, ah, you know, there's a lot of evidence, and there's a lot of reasoning here that makes sense, but, you know, I just don't have enough faith to, to allow him to come into my life and change me from the inside out. And, and if that's you today, I've got some great news for you. Really great news, and that is simply this. God loves you right where you're at. Right where you're at. But listen, also, there's another part to this. He loves you too much to let you stay that way. If you will step with that little bit of faith that you have, whatever it is, he will meet you to help you take the next step. But you've got to take the step of faith, however small it is, whatever little faith you have. Take your step towards Jesus, and he will meet you right where you are. And if you're a follower of Jesus already, and you struggle with doubts like I have from time to time, uh, you say, well, Mike, you're a pastor, and you're not supposed to do that. Hey, let's get real, okay? In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I went over to the, uh, the Bay Area where my one daughter lives, and I have three grandchildren there. And uh, they were going on a trip, and so they asked if Grace and I would would uh, babysit and watch the kids for three days. So we, we went over there, and, and of course, we, we, we really enjoy this time with them because we get to be up close and personal with our, with our grandkids. So uh, I've got one 12, one uh, 8, and, and one 5, just turned 5-year-old. My 8-year-old, his name's Jack. Well, Jack's sitting there eating his shredded wheat for breakfast. And uh, he knows I'm a pastor, you know, and he knows... Uh, uh, he knows some things about God, and he's been learning, and he says to me, he says, uh, Grandpa, I, I have some questions. And he looks real serious at me, eight years old. I have some real questions about God. And uh, I thought I would ask you, since you know everything there is to know about God. <laughs> I had to set him straight, right? There's so much I don't understand. And he just wanted to know, hey, what's heaven like? And here's a, he's. How, how old am I going to be when I'm in heaven? And he went on asking all kinds of questions I couldn't quite, couldn't quite answer. I just gave him, you know, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. And there's a lot we don't understand, right? So we all, we all wrestle with these kinds of things. But it, 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 first thing we need to do is we, we need to acknowledge, and then we need to let Jesus meet us where we're, right where we're at. And then thirdly, we're going to have to go with the faith that we have. We're going to have to move out with the faith that we do have. Okay, that's exactly what this father did in this story. Look what it says, Mark 9, 34, right after Jesus said everything is possible, the father said this. Let's read it. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, help me out here, right? I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief, right? He says, I'm leaning towards belief. I'm wanting to believe with everything in me. I am desperate to believe. Help me. With that little bit of doubt I still have, I want to believe. Jesus, help me get all the way there. Now, he was saying, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, what's interesting here is this word for unbelief in the New Testament, in the Greek language, is apostia. You know what it means? simply means not fully persuaded. Not fully persuaded. So 
He says, Jesus, I'm not 100% there. Help me in my unbelief. I'm wanting to believe, but I'm not there yet. The truth of the matter is some of you are right there today. Some of you want to believe, but you're not 100% ready to take the next step. You're not ready. So, some of you, if you're honest, you would say, you know what? Help me, God. I do want to believe, but I'm just not there yet. Some of you, by the way, you may be husbands who came here today, and maybe you're here because you want to please your wife. I mean, she kind of drags you here, and, and you're here, and you're trying to please her, and you want her to stop nagging you, so you come. <laughs> and you want to believe. You really do. I mean, but you're not fully persuaded. Maybe some of you are college students right now, and you're here today, and, and maybe when you were young, you, you maybe even grew up in the church and grew up around faith, and, and when you were young, you know, you had this simple, uh, beautiful, simple faith and sincere faith that you had while you were young, then you went off to school. And then you began to listen to all sorts of things, you know. Some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't, but, but you, you began to listen to all this, and you're not sure anymore. You hit some snags, you hit some walls, you have some questions now that you need answering. You're not all the way there. Jesus will meet you where you're at. Maybe some of you here, you've had a tragedy in your life, and your world has been rocked, and something has happened in your life that, that's so confusing, you don't understand it, and, and your faith gets really fuzzy around the edges. And you're saying, you know, I do believe. Jesus helped me overcome my unbelief. Maybe that's you. I want to tell you, go with the faith that you have, even if it's a faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed. And the father in this story he came with imperfect faith mingled with doubt. And Jesus, what did he do? He healed his son. Now, was the father's faith imperfect? Was it? Yes, it was, right? But look at the faith that he did express. Oftentimes we say, look at, you know, this father's doubting. What about the faith that he did have? Let me, let me show you three, three areas that may encourage you. Number one. This father had enough faith to bring his son, right? He could have stayed home. He heard Jesus was in town. He knew his son's dilemma. He had enough faith to get up and, and, and go to see Jesus. Secondly, he had enough faith to approach Jesus. I mean, he went to the disciples first. When he arrived, Jesus wasn't there. Jesus comes down the mountain. He sees Jesus. He has enough faith to reach out and persevere. Even though the disciples could not cast out the spirit, he still approached Jesus and kept on, kept on, kept on. Persevered. That's faith. And thirdly, he had enough faith to risk failure in front of the crowd. He stepped out of the crowd. He could have stayed in the back of the crowd, but he didn't. He just believed Jesus might be able to pull this off. That, folks, is faith. D did he have complete, perfect faith? No. But he went with the faith that he had. And guess what? In the eyes of Jesus, that was enough. He healed his son. So what I want to do in these next few moments that we have is I'm going to set some of you free. I'm going to set the doubter free, all right? And I also want to set another doubter free. I want to ask you a question. And I know that you're going to be as sharp as the other two services. All right? But here's my question. Who is the most famous doubter 
in all the Bible. In fact, we have a name for him. We call him Doubting Thomas. Thomas. Poor guy. For 2,000 years, Thomas has had a bad rap. We know him as Doubting Thomas. And what else do we know him for? Right? So I'm going to set him free today. All right? He was not the biggest doubter in the Bible. So spread the word. All right? When you go to your friends, go to your workplaces, hey, Thomas wasn't the biggest doubter in the Bible. They'll look at you like, what? <laughs> Thomas was not the biggest doubter in the Bible. Let's look at the story. Let's read it. See what the scripture says. Now, all this takes place right after Jesus conquers the grave. Right after the crucifixion and the resurrection, uh, all these stories take place. And let's pick it up in Luke 24, verse 37. The disciples were startled, startled and frightened, thinking they had saw a ghost. Okay, Jesus appears to them. This is after, after the resurrection. He appeared to a lot of people, you know, up to 500 at one time, the Bible says. So people got to see him after the resurrection. He hung around a while. But he appears to them. They think they're seeing a ghost. Freaks them out. Okay, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do what? Doubts arise in your minds. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Touch me and see. Now, the disciples were right there. Right there in the presence of the risen Christ. Now, think about this for a moment. They had spent three years in ministry with him. They had seen him walk on water. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him heal people. They saw him multiply the loaves and the fishes. They had been with Jesus day in and day out. They had seen him die on a cross. And now there's this empty tomb. And after all this, he appears right before them and freaks them out. And they're still, what? They're still doubting. All right? Now, uh, not all the disciples were there, by the way, that day that Jesus appeared. There was one disciple that was missing. Guess who it was? Thomas. Exactly. All right? Now, we're going to read about this. We know this because it tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 24. Look what it says. Now, Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve was where? Not with the disciples when Jesus came. You know, that first time. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. You know what Thomas did? Thomas simply wanted to do and had the chance to do what the other disciples had already done. He wanted to see them. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to touch him. They wanted to put his hand... He, he wanted that experience. And he says, I'm not going to believe it until I, until I see it, right? So the way I look at this whole story is that the other disciples doubted even more so than Thomas. Because they had their doubts when Jesus appeared. Thomas was not the greatest doubter in the Bible. So if you have ever doubted, you are in great company. You're in company with the disciples who actually saw Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who witnessed everything that we read in the scripture, and they still what? Okay, you feel better about yourself? <laughs> now, let's finish this story and see what Jesus did for Thomas, all right? Let these 
let the truth of these verses uh, soak deep, deep in your heart, okay? John chapter 20, whether you're online listening or uh, in a video venue or whatever, listen to this. A week later, a week later, Jesus waits a whole week. Thomas lived with his doubts for a whole week. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. It's the second time now. And this time, Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. That would freak somebody out right off. I'm just telling you, it would me. He came and stood among them and said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe, Thomas. I want you to notice here two incredible things that God did for Thomas, and he's going to do it for you. Number one, Jesus gave Thomas what he needed to believe. Jesus gave Thomas what he needed to believe. And I believe with all my heart that if you, will, if you will come to Jesus just as you are, he will give you exactly what you need to believe with that little faith that you have. It may not come in the package that you pray for. It may not come in the timing that you desire. It may not come the way that you expect it. But he will give you exactly what you need if you will come with the little faith that you have. Second thing, notice that Jesus did not give this to him immediately. How long did Jesus wait? A week, right? Now, why did Jesus wait a whole week to settle the doubts of Thomas? Now, do you think that Thomas was eager to have that question settled? For a whole week, Jesus was silent. I don't know why for sure that Jesus waited a whole week. The Bible doesn't tell us, but maybe, maybe Jesus was giving Thomas a very unusual gift, the gift of a season of doubt. The gift of a season of doubt. Don't you believe that in that long, long week that Thomas was waiting to hear from Jesus, he wanted to believe? Don't you think he, he desperately wanted to believe, but he just couldn't get there? You see, I believe that that season of doubt that he was in had to strengthen his faith. Had to strengthen his faith. You know what? I know today that my faith is stronger because I have been through some seasons of doubt. And I've come through them. I've come out the other side. So when I see other people going through it, I understand. I get it. And, and so when I see a family going through a tragedy and their whole world is shaken... I can stand in the gap for them. I can believe for them because I know that God is faithful. He's not silent. And I, and I know that when, when I, I go to a hospital and maybe I'm standing in a room with a family who's standing around a loved one and they're ready to pull the, the plug for life support, I know that I know that I know that God is faithful, that he will be there and he will meet them with their faith where they're at. And I know when I meet with a couple who just doubts that God can work a miracle in their marriage, I can say with authority that God can do it. Why? Because I went through it. I went through that period, that season of doubt, when my marriage was on the rocks many years ago, and, and God healed it, and he came through, and he, he met, met us with that little faith that we had. I know God can do it. So I'm here to say that all you need to do is come to him with the faith that you have, and Jesus will give you what you need to take the next step. Now, I'm going to wrap this up with a question. 
and we can all go home and have potato salad. <laughs> Here's my question. Whatever happened to Thomas? I mean, we all know him as Th Thomas the Doubter, but what really happened to him? This is an amazing thing, okay? He became one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith. In fact, the disciples, we know from history, that all the disciples were martyred. They all gave up their lives with the exception of John, who was on the Isle of Patmos, who died after he wrote the book of Revelation. So all the other apostles, they died a martyr's death. We say, what happened to Thomas? Well, Thomas went off to India. And, and he, he, he became one of the strongest of the apostles. And many, many, countless people came to Christ because of his faith. Now, how did he die? Well, church tradition, church history, what we've been able to gather, uh, there's different traditions about how the different apostles died. But for Thomas, an enemy of Christ threw him into a pit and drove a stake through his heart. He died a martyr's death. And also, church tradition tells us that the last words that ever come from the lips of Thomas were the words, Jesus. So I, I, I just say, Thomas was a man of great faith. Look what Jesus said to Thomas just before he ascended into heaven. Well, during this whole occasion, when Thomas was there, he said, let me touch him. Let me see. He said this, verse 29. Jesus said this. Because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. And this is what Jesus would say for every single one of us here today. Blessed. Blessed are those who have what? Not seen and yet have believed. Folks, we walk by faith. Does that mean we'll never have doubts? No. But we need faith that will crowd out our doubt. Because our faith, the faith that he places in us, is stronger than doubt. If we'll take this step... And let Jesus meet me where we're at, where you're at. So you got any doubts, got any struggles, go with the faith you have and let God meet you exactly where you're at. And he will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together today. Lord, uh, I'm so thankful that you have met with me in my seasons of doubt. And I still walk by faith. I still look into the future, and I don't completely understand it all. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, you hold the world in your hands. It's, it's all yours. And we just have to walk by faith, not by sight. Teach us to do that, Lord, to trust you every step of the way. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Hey, hey give it up for me.